What up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 153 of the Spun Today podcast, and in this episode, I share my March and April 2020 writing stats, a writing tip that I picked up along the way, and I tell you about the master classes that I've been taking. Finally, I read and reflect on a couple of my free writing pieces, which, as always, can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash free writing. This episode will be a goodie, so I suggest that you stay tuned and check it out. But first, here's a very quick way that you can help support the show. You know that feeling that you get on a Monday when you're sad because the weekend is over and you have nothing to look forward to except for lunch? have no fear the midday monday boost letter is here and you might be thinking what is the midday monday boost letter sounds like a mouthful and it is but it's also more than that i put together this absolutely free newsletter that i email to all my subscribers every monday at noon to spread a little joy and happiness if you choose to subscribe all you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. And what you'll get is five things. You'll get a photo of the week, which who doesn't like looking at dope pictures? You'll also get a podcast of the week. I listen to dozens and dozens of podcasts every single week from a wide variety of shows. And I cherry pick the very best ones and share them with you as my recommendation for that week. Also in the Midday Monday Boost Letter, you will find a video of the week, which could be anything from cool online recipe that I found, to a rap battle, to a TED talk, or a dope interview. I also share a quote of the week, a little food for thought, as well as a word of the week for my fellow wordsmiths out there. Again, this is all absolutely free, and you can get my newsletter by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you will get the very next one. Alrighty, my March and April writing stats. March and April, April and March, 2020. I fucked up, guys and gals. I'm not going to lie. In March, I wrote 12 out of the 31 days of the month, which equates to a 38.7 percentage, meaning that for the month of March in 2020, I wrote 38.7% of the time. Then in April, I picked it up a bit, and I wrote 15 out of the 30 days of the month. Which for you math wizards out there, that is a 50% percentage. For May, I can tell you guys, let me take a look at my trusty little habit-forming notebook here, where I keep track of my dates, where I keep track of like my writing dates and other habits that I'm trying to create and maintain, etc. Oh, which I have a, a cool little hack for you guys about that I'll circle back to, but for... May, the point that I wanted to make is that I'm off to a stronger start and I've written and or worked on writing related things, meaning either research or or something like that, seven out of the 11 days of May so far. Now, so what I used to keep track of my habits is uh, James Clear's habit forming notebook, which I've spoken about on the show in the past, which is pretty cool. You know, before I used to use a one of those like uh desktop calendars like 
And by desktop, I don't mean like your computer desktop. I mean like the, the top of your desk, like those big staples calendars. And there I used to keep track of uh, solely my my writing writing dates. Now with this habit forming notebook, it's it's pretty cool because I can keep track of that. Those days that I write versus the days that I didn't write, as well as other habits that I'm trying to form and or maintain. And the way it's set up, it's pretty much just a consistent format of a gridded sheet of paper where all the months and days and you know day day numbers are like pre-written for you so you have one through 31 numbered across the top and then the months january through december across the top as well so you just have to circle you know which month you're in and then on the left hand side you have uh, about 15 blank spots to jot down the habits that you're trying to track and for me it's things like writing reading meditating flossing being in bed by 11 and specifically 11 because i try to because i'm heeding the advice of folks like matthew walker which is a sleep expert and he's a professor of neuroscience and psychology at the university of california berkeley and he's also the founder and director of the center for human sleep science and he, he goes on to discuss the importance of sleep not just how we normally hear, you know, seven or eight hours and you're good. And though you can catch up on sleep, etc. Like he dispels a lot of those those myths and, and actually doubles down on how it's really more like eight or nine hours that folks should be getting. And that the number one cause of diseases uh, such as Alzheimer's is lack of sleep. People that don't you know, get enough sleep. And that's something that I may be predisposed to. So, I, I you know, do what you can, right? So I just calculate out the time that I normally get up and then you know I, I work it backwards from there so some days it's uh, 11 p.m and some days it's 12 a.m but uh you get the gist anyway so it's things like that it's things like flossing you know just shit, shit that i want to do on a regular basis and i have on there you know taking supplements like uh uh my daily multivitamin fish oil cbd oil etc and that's the quote-unquote hack that i wanted to get back to you guys on I noticed from, you know, tracking this, which is, you know, a good way, a good use of, of data, in my opinion, is to use it for analytical purposes, right? Go back, see, try to identify trends, try to see what you're doing good in, what you're doing bad in. So you can try to implement behavioral changes that will help you reach the goals that you set for yourself. So in terms of supplementation, uh, the supplements that I take and stuff, I was on any given month probably ranging between 10 days out of the month to like 15, 16, 17 days out of the month that I would actually, you know, uh, take all those, all those things, which is decent, I guess, especially compared to before when I wasn't taking shit and it was just like hit or miss. And I would have a bottle of vitamins that would expire before I even t took them all or something like that. But it's not what I want, right? It's not what I set out to achieve. You know, ideally for me, it would be I'd be checking off every one of my goals at the end of every night, day in and day out, 24-7-365. Easier said than none, though, right? Anyway, specific to the vitamins and, and stuff like that, I found this little hack that worked for me, and maybe it'll work for some of you guys if you want to implement something like this, is I got one of those pill cases, those pill organizers, you know, those little plastic things that, you know, are labeled, you know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, every day during the week. By filling them up with 
these vitamins and keeping that pill box right in front of my computer, my percentage of achieving the goal of taking my supplements went through the roof. It's literally now at 27, 28, 29 days out of the month. Like I'm literally only not like missing them like one or two or three days out of the month, which is almost a 50% increase from what I was doing before. And I found that that works for me because I'm at my computer pretty much on a daily basis. Now, definitely for like quarantine purposes, you know, working my nine to five, I'm, I'm in front of the computer. And even prior to that, I'm usually working on something writing related, research related, podcast related, website related, you know, and all, all the shit that goes into the uh, spun today universe, if you will. So they're sitting right there in front of me. It's hard to forget not to take them or to get lazy to want to go to the bathroom in the cupboard and get my vitamins and then go to the fridge where I keep my fish oil because pro tip, it's good to keep fish oil pills in the fridge because fish oil goes rancid and taking rancid fish oil is actually very bad for you and you could wind up doing more harm than good. So, you know, instead of that, you know, having to do that, which I clearly used to get lazy about and not do half the time. Now I just have to remember once a week to fill up my little pill organizer and uh, the rest just works itself out. It's like a set it and forget it type of thing. Now I just have to find other versions of that to bump up my writing, my reading, my exercising, my meditating, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I hope that helps you guys out. And if any of you happen to have any helpful hacks like that, please feel free to reach out. Email me at spuntoday at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at spuntoday. Now, the writing tip that I want to share with you guys is from Stephen Pressfield's Writing Wednesdays Writing Posts. It's entitled One Word and Done. And as always, I will link to it in the episode notes so you guys can check it out on your own as well. But I'm actually going to read, instead of an excerpt uh, from it, I'm going to read the, the entire post because it's fairly short. And the additional you know context from it, I think, helps uh, drive the main point home. So here we go. Again, it's called One Word and Done. And Pressfield writes... I did an Instagram live a few days ago with the thriller writer Jack Carr. Do you know him? He's a former Navy SEAL sniper and task force commander who is a natural born teller of ripping yarns that grow out of his own experience in the hot political and military spots around the globe. We were talking about writing and Jack shared a one word trick that I had never thought of before. I've adopted his practice now completely. We were talking about theme. Jack was citing something I had said on a Joe Rogan podcast a few years ago that Jack said had helped him tremendously on his first three novels. What I said was this, quote, I was quoting Robert McKee, who, as a young theater director, once got to interview Patty Chayefsky, the great playwright and novelist, and the only three-time solo Oscar winner for original and adapted screenplays for Marty, The Hospital, and network. Chayefsky told Robert McKee, quote, as soon as I figure out the theme of my play, I type it out on a single line and scotch tape it to the front of my typewriter. After that, nothing goes onto the page that isn't on theme, end quote. As soon as I heard that from McKee, I incorporated it into my own writing practice. Only then it was onto my computer screen instead of a typewriter. Now, here's the twist Jack Carr puts on this idea. He doesn't write out a multi-word theme statement like the rich get away with murder or a character's past catches up with her no matter how far or hard she flees from it. 
Jack boils it down to one word. Revenge. If that's my theme word, I write it on a post-it and stick it to the upper right-hand corner of my screen. Or redemption, say. Or love. I immediately decided to do that myself from now on. Of course, in my head, I will know the fuller version. Revenge is a dish better served cold. Or whatever I've decided my theme is. But I love the concision and simplicity of a one-word statement. If you and I are writing The Godfather, for example, our post-it might say, family. If we're writing The Bridge on the River Kwai, it could be madness. That word would work pretty well for Moby Dick, Apocalypse Now, Full Metal Jacket, and many others. So thanks to Patty Chayefsky and Robert McKee and Jack Carr. I definitely thought that was a tip worth sharing and something that I'm absolutely implementing myself because it's important to stay on theme, right? Dozens and dozens of different writers and authors. That's a common theme, if you will, pun unintended. I mean, in this post alone, you have four different writers implementing a version of this idea, right? You have Robert McKee, who is quoting Patty Chayefsky, Stephen Pressfield, who wrote this post, and Jack Carr, who was influenced by Stephen Pressfield. And I've heard this from K.M. Wyland and Stephen King's book on writing and N. Lamott's Bird by Bird and so many more, the importance of staying on theme. And this is a really good practical way to help achieve that. And actually, one of the masterclasses that I'll get to in a bit that I've taken specific to writing, if I remember correctly, I believe touches on something like this as well. In having the main idea or the theme of your of your novel in a visible place so that whenever you're stuck, whenever you are in a moment of writer's block or are just having trouble writing yourself out of a scene, remember what your theme is. Remember what the common through line is. And that'll help you stick to the script. Again, pun unintended. And help you stay on theme. So yeah, that was a post, a Writing Wednesdays post by Stephen Pressfield, entitled One Word and Done. And I will link to it in the episode notes so you guys can check it out. Feel free to subscribe to Pressfield's Writing Wednesdays posts. He sends an email similar to this one once every Wednesday, and it's usually some salient advice from anecdotal stories like this filled with gems that you can then take and make your own and implement them in your own work, as I surely have. Now, I'm excited to tell you guys about uh, masterclasses. So I remember seeing, probably on YouTube, months back, maybe even a bit longer, these commercials for masterclasses. And the commercials in and of themselves are like very, very well produced, as are the entire courses, as I later found. But they're really well produced. The commercials are and cut together very well, very professionally. It's folks teaching their individual craft. It's writers and directors and economists and chess players and basketball, you know, NBA stars and cooks and chefs and et cetera, et cetera, actors, actresses, the whole nine. And it's not like Joe Schmo writer, you know, it's like folks that are extremely successful at the pinnacle of their careers. You know, it's folks that are definitely the North star to anyone that wants to be within their lane. You know, from a writing perspective, it's folks like Malcolm Gladwell and James Patterson 
Margaret Atwood that wrote, amongst other things, obviously, uh, The Handmaid's Tale. Neil Gaiman, which I've spoken about on this podcast in the past, who wrote books like The Graveyard Book, which I reviewed, as well as American Gods. Uh, Dan Brown, who wrote The Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, etc., etc. Aaron Sorkin, which is my favorite screenwriter. And that's just from like writing, and there's a bunch more. And you have folks like Martin Scorsese teaching directing. It's like dope people, right? Accomplished people. But I was still a little skeptical at first because it's not cheap. It's about $90 for one class, which is one pricing option. So I started doing uh, some research. And by research, you know, I was reading accounts of uh, folks online, you know, on the Masterclass website, which I was taking with a grain of salt, obviously, because it's on their website. Uh, then I was watching like independent YouTube videos of folks that were breaking down master classes that they took and comparing them. I was like, fuck, you know, it definitely seems like something I would fuck with. It was, I don't remember if it was Christmas or my birthday. Uh, what was my birthday? No, my birthday was last month. It wasn't my birthday. It was uh, Christmas and, and my wife didn't know what to get me. And I, and I told her, fuck it, you know, just get me a, a master class. Then I was watching all the... Each masterclass has its own like commercial, right? Like the person introducing their course and telling you what the course is going to be about and what, what it entails. So I started, I watched like at least a dozen of a dozen diff- different writers that I would like to learn from. And I started narrowing it down. And then I found out that there's an option for an all access pass where you pay 180 bucks, which is, you know, double the price of 90. But you get to watch every fucking video that you want to watch. It's an all access pass for a full year. And I was like, fuck it, I'm getting that. And I definitely do not regret it at all. And I'm having a really fun time taking these master classes and I'm learning a lot. And they're set up in a very digestible way. You know, each each class is different, obviously. Each writer is different, each person is different. Everybody has like their own styles and ideas and practices. But you definitely take gems from each one. At least I have so far. And I've completed three full uh, courses, the first one of which was Margaret Atwood's. Then I took Neil Gaiman's, and I took Dan Brown's. So the courses are set up in individual video formats. So there's like a like a syllabus, or you know, picture like a like a glossary, if you will, that's broken down into specific topics that that writer chose to speak to to the class about. And I'll give you a couple of examples, like one video is getting started as a writer another video is story and plot another video is point of view case studies another video is creating compelling characters crafting dialogue revealing the world through sensory imagery writing the middle and ending you know it's all different you know tailored to that specific writer what they want to teach etc and each course has a different number of videos like you can have a course that has 23 videos, which is the entire course, another course that has 19 videos, and each individual video could be eight minutes long, 23 minutes long, 15 minutes long, like it varies. And what's dope about it to me, in my opinion, is it being split up like that because one, you know the topic that you're going into, you know how much time you have to allocate to it, you know, you can always obviously, you know, go back and replay and rewind and fast forward as needed which is really helpful and dope. And then each course also has a PDF attachment for the course, like a supplemental material for the course with a lot of it, you know, and it's like dozens of pages, like Mar- Margaret Atwood's, for example, is like 80 pages long, the PDF and 
new game is like 60 something pages etc and a lot of it it you know it accompanies the course you know chapter by chapter or video by video rather and it's supplemental information for the course so it's like additional videos that you should watch or books that you should read that he or she may have referenced or websites to check out and stuff like that and it's also like little pieces of like homework if you will or coursework where they'll tell you okay this idea that we just spoke about of creating suspense by taking the middle of a paragraph that you already wrote where the action is underway and making that the beginning of the paragraph instead and then the first few sentences before you know that that you initially started out with that were sentences of most likely exposition and you know adding color and explaining setting and stuff like that filter that in to the to the story of the rest of the paragraph later on but start where the action is start your actual paragraph where the action starts and that's a technique to ratchet up suspense and to hook the reader immediately and it'll be like little exercises like that and then some of the writing assignments are more in depth like from dan brown's course there's a a two-page worksheet that i printed out that you know what i'm actually going to try i'm going to jot myself a down a reminder to like scan and add these to the web page for this episode of the podcast and maybe i'll see if i could do so with some additional notes that i took down as well but so you guys can see and get an idea of what it is this worksheet is a worksheet to be used to build the structure of your novel uh, using uh, the advice and and the lessons learned from the course. So it has things like, what is the world of your novel? And it says, go to your world page from creating heroes and villains and condense its main points here. Then it says, like, what is your moral gray area? Go back to the assignment titled moral gray area from finding the idea. And in one paragraph or less, explain your moral gray area here. Who is your hero? Who is your villain? And it's a worksheet where you're condensing all these main points and ideas and plot points and themes and setting. And it's a helpful tool to just help work shit out in your own head. At least it was for me. And coming from an accomplished writer like Dan Brown, which has had his books translated into 57 different languages and has literally sold over 200 million copies of his books, it's advice that in my opinion, is worth giving a whirl. Now, is that to say that you should mimic and do every single thing that every single one of these writers in, in these master's classes or anywhere else say? Of course not. You know, they are all successful within their own rights and have their own ways of doing things. You know, if you shouldn't do that with anybody in any type of situation, if God came down from the sky right now and told you to do this, this, and this, you should cherry pick whatever you feel is would work best for you. But definitely take and try to implement what you feel may work for you. Track it to be able to determine if it does work for you or not. And if it doesn't, you know, you gave it a shot. Move on to the next. Now, what I chose to do with taking these courses is designate a notebook just to these master classes. And similar to how, like when I was in college, in like a lecture hall or something like that. Or I actually don't remember doing this in high school, but definitely in college. My way of taking notes, and you might have your own, but my way of taking notes when I did take notes was jotting down shit that sounded important, things that resonated with me, and then going back over my notes later on and highlighting what on the second 
go around stood out to me even more. So I did something similar to that with the courses that I've taken so far where I hear a gem and I'm like, oh shit, I want to try that. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh, you know, that'll work for my book. And I'll write it down. Then after I complete the entire course, then I went back to the notes that I took down and I highlighted some of the notes that stood out to me even more. And I'm going to read to you guys, to you fine folks, uh, some of those highlights. Maybe it's something that you may be interested in. If you're interested in writing, and if not, then kick rocks. This is not the episode for you. See if there's maybe some takeaways here that you can implement on your end. I'm going to start off with Margaret Atwood's class. And I'm just going to read to you guys some stuff in no particular order. So this is a takeaway from one of the lessons. Where I jotted down, ask yourself while writing. And I have three bullet points. Does the character know more than the reader? Does the reader know more than the character? Do they both know the same? And those are definitely three things that are important to keep in mind, right? The mind state of the reader. What does the reader know at this point in time while I'm writing this piece of the story? Is it the type of story where, and again, this is important to keeping the pace of your story, not losing like the point of view that you're writing your story in, etc. But does the reader, for example, know something that the main character doesn't? And know that when the main character goes into this building, he's going to be confronted with X, Y, and Z. And he knows that because, you know, somebody else's narrator is telling the story from like an omniscient point of view. And the readers, you know, reading along to see, oh my God, is, is the main character going to overcome this or not? Or does the, does the character know more than the reader? And the reader knows that the character knows something that the reader doesn't know yet. And the only way for the reader to find out is if the reader keeps on reading. And is hooked into the story. Or do they both know what's going on and they're going through something together? From a writing perspective, that's definitely important to keep in mind. Then I highlighted something else here. In my little notebook that says page 34 of 92 of the workbook. And by the workbook, I mean the the PDF uh, course, uh, supplemental coursework that accompanies the Margaret Atwood's class. And I wrote here... Page 34 of 92 of the workbook has a character chart to keep track of age during specific events, which could be a useful tool. For flashbacks, this is another thing I highlighted. For flashbacks, you can easily show this by placing a date on the page. For example, April 1970. And that's important, right? Because like if you're watching a movie, for example, it's easy to tell a flashback because like the characters might look younger. The screen will change to black and white. They'll indicate that the person is daydreaming or something like that. But when you're writing text, it's hard to do that. I've attempted to do that in the past by saying something like the character's thinking back to X, Y, Z, and then having like a flashback scene in italics to try to distinguish it from the rest of the text to show the reader like a practical or tangible rather difference between the actual text in the book. But this is definitely another way to go about it. Then I highlighted a quote that she said, which is, the first page is a gateway, a doorway into your book. Get the reader through it. Hook the reader. And she goes on to say that you should rewrite the beginning once you're deeper into your book, because that's when you actually, quote unquote, find your beginning later on in the text. All right. And I took a, a bunch more notes in her course, but those are the, the stuff that I highlighted that stood out to me on, on second go around. So let me go over now to Neil Gaiman's notes that I took down. And the first one is, it's okay to have a compost heap. 
writings that never go anywhere, but can serve as fertilizer for later. And he goes on, I remember in that video to explain how he always carries around 24 7 365 well maybe not 24 7 like while he's sleeping and shit but he always carries that around in his jacket pocket a very small notebook and he just jots shit down and he says to treat this like a compost heap like i think he likened it to like a garden that that you're fertilizing and and like treating and you just add shit to it and eventually you know flowers bloom out of it or something like that i'm paraphrasing and you're writing you should treat the same way like if you hear something that you liked just jot it down something that interests you like a word or a movie or a person or a song or types of people or a piece of clothing or anything just like jot it down and it doesn't have to be like some concise you know masterpiece work it's just jotted down ideas of which you can revisit later maybe not revisit but you you know you got it out of your head into the notebook and it could serve you later in another piece of advice that that i highlighted he states keep the reader thinking quote and then what happened and keep that in mind throughout your writing another thing that i highlighted is when you get stuck while writing ask yourself what do your characters want it's like a flashlight that can help illuminate your plot and that's something else that neil gaiman and other successful writers reiterate all the time the characters in your stories want something each and every one of them want something even if it's just a glass of water it's a famous you know quote or phrase to explain that point so one character might want to find love one character might want to impress their parents one character might want to defeat the alien one character might want to become the ceo one character might want to cause chaos and world destruction You know, but every character wants a thing. So he says, when you're stuck in a moment of writer's block, remind yourself, what is it that this character wants? What is their thing? And that'll help you navigate out of a particular scene and or backtrack to where you went off the path and your character for some reason focused on A when he should be focused on Z because what he wants is actually Z. But for some reason, you know, you went off off course which happens right then another piece i highlighted is write short stories as if they were the last chapter of a novel which i thought was pretty cool i'm definitely gonna keep that in mind with the next short story that i write then another piece of advice is remember to write in sensory details what a place felt like smelled like sounds like and if you read any of neil gaiman's works you know that he's very very descriptive which definitely helps to to set a scene and and for the reader to envision the world in in their head this piece of advice in particular i really liked and he goes when describing common things like a tree or a house explain what it is that makes that one different everyone knows what they are what they look like what's special or stands out about this particular one for example the tree branches looked like a hand reaching up to the sky to grab a cloud which is a dope concept because as I was, as I heard that in the video and even as right now, as I'm like rereading my notes, like I picture that tree in my head that looks like a hand, you know, reaching up from the ground to grab, grab a cloud. Like I see those branches right now in my mind, which is the idea obviously of that type of approach or that type of writing tip, writing tool. All right. Dan Brown, who 
whose books I've never read, but I definitely heard of. Um, I actually have one of his books, Angels and Demons, which I'm looking at right now on my bookshelf, which a friend gave to me years ago and I never got around to reading it. But I liked his course so much that I now want to force myself to read it. I'll let you guys know if I do. But there were definitely tons of gems that I got from, from his course. And one of them is uh, he introduced his idea of something called the three C's, which should always be in your writing. The first C is a contract. The second C is a crucible. And the third C is a clock. And he breaks them out like this. The contract is make a promise to your reader and keep it. Answer any and all questions posed by the end of the book. This creates satisfaction and establishes trust. And those could be literal literal questions that are posed between characters, but also story-based questions. Like if your story has to do with a bank robbery that happens in the beginning of, of the story, that automatically creates a question. Will these bank robbers get caught? Who's going to catch these bank robbers? How are these bank robbers going to get caught? Are they going to get away with it? All those questions have to be answered by the end of your story. So that's what it means. Then the second C, which is crucible, create situations where your character or characters cannot escape. They have to stay and face whatever issue they have to deal with. Give them one way out, a path that is filled with obstacles. That's what will make them heroic, overcoming those obstacles. I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. And then the last C, which is clock. And he said it's essential for, at least for him and for his genre, which is the thriller writing, to add a clock, aka time pressure. You know, something like, if we don't retrieve this amulet by midnight tomorrow, the world as we know it is going to end. Or, I can't believe I woke up late for the most important meeting of my life. Stuff like that. And then something else I highlighted, which is, your job as a writer, give the reader what they want in a way they don't see coming. And here's another one, which actually ties into writing tip of, of this episode that we spoke about earlier, that... Stephen Pressfield provided about staying on theme. And it's build your novel with a single question. For example, will Ahab catch the whale? Or will the jackal catch its target? This will be your North Star. Make the question morally ambiguous. Make it a question that can be argued credibly by both sides. And another one is make your payoffs difficult and heroic. Another takeaway is, oh, this one I really liked. When introducing characters, give your reader hints. If there's a character that is in a scene to give some sort of information, maybe don't give him or her a name. Make other characters that you want the reader to remember memorable. So, for example, he's saying you don't have to, you know, introduce a character and say, hi, this is Tiffany. And, you know, give a whole backstory for her or whatever. If the purpose of that character is just to, you know, provide some exposition for the reader or to let the reader know that the main character is now in a bar So you don't have to go that deep into the character of the bartender if that's the only purpose of that bartender. And then on the flip side, if it's a character that you do want your reader to remember, you know, give them a name, make them memorable. Talk about the, you know, crazy hat that they're wearing or some shit like that. And he really drills down on this idea of helping the reader out as a writer, even if it's subconsciously, you know, write a character that's memorable if you want your your reader to remember that character because they have some sort of key role in the story later on and if the character is not important don't bog your reader down with having to remember another character if they don't need to then here's another one your soul dramatic question will have your ending hidden within it so that like question from before like 
to build your story around, like will Ahab catch the whale, it has the ending to your book embedded within it, or it should. You know, the end of Moby Dick is, you know, does Ahab catch the whale or not? And here's another tip. Don't put resolutions at the end of a chapter. Put it at the beginning of the next chapter. This creates a cliffhanger and makes the reader invest in another chunk of your book. Another gem here is create suspense by withholding. So he goes on to give an example of like write a scene where a character reads a letter and cries, but you don't reveal to the reader what's in that letter until later. So you create that suspense, that tension by just withholding that piece of information. It says that you can use flashback to make a big promise uh, to your reader. So you can show them technically a like scene in the future, like a big dramatic scene that your novel leads up to. And then you're technically flashing back and like telling the story of how you got there. And this creates the promise of, you know, I'm going to tell you how this crazy shit came to be. But you got to read through to find out. Oh, this was pretty cool. He says uh, you could use like a minor character's uh, POV point of view to raise questions that you want to make sure that the reader has as well. And also use characters, minor characters like this to provide exposition. He said that he likes to also switch the POVs of, of that he's telling a story through from chapter to chapter or maybe even scene to scene sometimes. And as a visual cue to not confuse the, the reader, as a tangible physical cue, he'll use a three asterisk uh, page break on the actual page. Another takeaway here is similar to Margaret Atwood, actually, how she says to, you know, you can clearly define flashbacks by like literally just putting a date and saying, you know, this is from 1923 or whatever. He says delineate flashback scenes very clearly in the beginning and at the end of the flashback scene. So if you didn't, for example, want to take uh, Margaret Atwood's approach of just writing the date, he says you can begin it. You can delineate by doing something like this. For example, in the beginning, say, the hero thought back to when he was in Jersey a year ago, quote unquote, and then, you know, write the flashback scene and then end it by saying something like, the hero relished the thought he just had as he looks out of his window to the California scenery. And actually, that beginning and end I actually wrote based on like that advice, but you guys get the point, right? And this is a really good tip that I also got, I believe, from Stephen Pressfield. And I've always used it since, but it definitely works, which is when you're about to finish for the day, begin writing tomorrow's starting point so you don't come in cold the next day. So a lot of the times what would happen to me is, you know, I'm, I'm, I have an idea for a scene. I write it from beginning to end. That's it. I don't have an idea of where this scene leads yet necessarily. And then the next day I come in and I'm, you know, I have to like backtrack and I'm like, you know, where's this scene going? Where did the last one end? All right, now let me think of of the next scene. But instead, do a little of that either beforehand, before you finish for the day, like establish where what the next scene is going to be and then write like the first paragraph or whatever. So that the next day you come in and you like hit the ground running. Or another way to achieve the same goal for me is don't completely finish that scene that you're writing and you know how it's going to end so that you can finish it off the next day and take that momentum into the following scene. Another piece of advice was to voice record uh, brainstorming ideas, which I really like the idea of, but I don't do currently and plan to implement myself. And I actually did the other day. I recorded something while I was driving onto my phone. So the quality probably sucks. 
of just a random thought that I had about the the movie uh, The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. It was like a random what the movie is about type of thought. And I just recorded it like on a, a voice note and didn't like share it anywhere. But I definitely see the usefulness in doing something like that related to like writing and like scene ideas and character ideas, etc. So yeah, guys, that is a bit of what I've gotten so far from taking these master classes. I vouch for them. I'm getting a lot from them. I'm like excited to continue. You know, I want to can't wait to take Aaron Sorkin's class. The way he writes dialogue is fucking genius. Get off his nuts. I want to learn from folks like Shonda Rhimes. I can't wait to hear what she has to say and share. Who's written and created shows like Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder. She has a great TED Talk, by the way, which I believe I've shared in one of the uh, Midday Monday Boost letters as the video of the week. But just dope, you guys should check it out. And it's not necessarily the, you know, I'm not looking to get into screenwriting, at least not right now. Although an ultimate goal of mine would be to adapt a novel of mine into a screenplay and you know eventually see it on on the big screen but i just feel you can definitely learn from from folks and writing is writing is writing is writing is writing in my opinion folks like david uh baldacci baldacci who i have like in my queue uh to watch which is a a mystery writer a mystery like whodunit writer which i haven't read any of his stuff but i really liked his introduction and he speaks about i want to get uh insights into like his work ethic he speaks about how you know he was a practicing attorney for years and when his family would would go to bed at night he would write from 10 o'clock at night to two o'clock in the morning every single night and that's how he would work on his books and eventually after i don't remember what he said like his his third or fourth novel he was able to just leave his law practice and write full-time how dope is that right and I know I could get insights into the way he researches with that like precision of a fucking attorney. And you can just pick up on dope shit from anyone. So I definitely recommend these classes. I'm going to link to the Masterclass website in the episode notes so you guys can check it out for yourselves. And like I said, they have different payment options. I unfortunately don't have like some sort of discount or anything I can share. But they have different options like 90 bucks for one course, 180 bucks for in all access pass to every single course that you would want to take uh, for an entire year. Uh, I just saw they have like a $15 a month option as well. I don't know if you get like an all access pass for the $15 a month, uh, but probably maybe, you know, if you want to try it out for one month, see how many classes you can fucking binge in a month, especially now with the quarantine going on, you know, check that out, especially if you can like cancel at any time and not be penalized or anything like that, which I would imagine they, they have going on, but yeah, definitely check it out, man. And now let's check out some of Tony Ortiz's free writing. Speaking of myself in the third person like a dick. <laughs> All right. My free writing can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash free writing. And as usual, I'm going to share a couple of pieces that I have free written in one of my notebooks sometime in the past. Read it to you folks. Share it with you. Reflect on it myself. Pick it apart. Talk about how shitty it is or cherry pick some good parts from it. And just overall, share it with you folks. Put it out there in the universe. Feel free to reach out and let me know what you think. Either in the comment section of these individual posts, which can be found at sponsoraycom forward slash freewriting. And I will link to directly in the episode notes. Or hit me up as usual on Twitter at Spuntoday. Or email me to spuntoday at gmail.com. Alrighty, both of these posts I posted to 
the website on May 12th, 2020. And the first post that I'm going to read, I actually wrote back in 2016. And it's titled, It'll Never Feel Like Work. What comes easily to you? What do you have a natural inclination towards? I like to write. That's what it is for me. And I don't want to say that it comes easily to me because I understand that it's a lifelong pursuit. And I know that going in. I will say that it's one of those things that will never be done. It'll never become perfect. But no amount of work within it will ever feel like a 9 to 5. If it ever does, then you're probably doing it wrong. And I wrote that on Tuesday, July 26th, 2016 at 7.52 a.m. Nice little short post there. So let's dissect it a bit. So blah, blah, blah. Clearly I'm into writing. You guys know that. And I kind of contradict myself in the beginning, you know, asking like what comes easily to you and then saying that I like writing and that's what it is for me. And I guess what I'm trying to say with that piece there, that part where it says that I don't want to say that it comes to me easily because I understand that it's a lifelong pursuit is like something along the lines of that uh, Joey Diaz quote that that I constantly quote and you guys are probably sick of hearing which is and I'm paraphrasing and he says this in in relation to stand-up comedy I'm saying it in relation to writing which is that it's the easiest hardest thing I'll ever do because there's so much work involved in it there's so much nuance to it there's so many directions you can go in so it's difficult in a tedious sense but it feels like it comes naturally when I'm doing it so it also feels easy in that sense because no matter like how difficult it gets at times and by the way I'm not saying that I'm like good at it and oh you know the shit comes easy I'm the best or whatever or like some shit like that because it's definitely far from it but it's something that I, I definitely strive to become more competent and better at but the main point that I'm getting to is that the like passion and desire to do it far outweighs the tediousness of it so it feels easy in that sense like it doesn't feel like work which then ties into that uh second to last line where i say but no amount of work within it meaning writing will ever ever feel like a nine to five meaning a nine to five job you know it doesn't feel like something that you're doing strictly for money that you hate at times and the majority of the time just deal with put up with it definitely never feels like that which is the point i'm making there And then I round it off by saying that if it does feel that way, then you're probably doing it wrong. Or I would probably I would add now that you're probably doing the wrong thing if you feel that way towards your quote unquote passion and feelings change. You know, maybe you wind up not feeling the passion anymore one day. And that's probably just the time to hang it up. There's nothing wrong with that either. And again, that post was it'll never feel like work. And I will link to it in the episode notes. Next and last up is another post again on May 12th, 2020, titled Hard to Make Change. And I wrote, it can be hard to make the changes you want to make, even when you really want to make them, even when you plan, even when you schedule things, even when you break down goals into achievable granular tasks and set up goal posts to monitor progress. Even then, it's hard to make changes you want to make. But changes happen every minute of every day and have since the beginning of time. There's an inevitability component to change. 
along with a defined path to it. Identifying that path while timing its inevitability, maybe that's the most efficient mechanism to change. The catalyst that should be focused on. Or maybe it's just hard as fuck and that way for a reason. Sometimes the only way through it is through it. And I wrote that fairly recently, actually, on Saturday, April 18th, 2020, at 12.04 a.m. So looking back on this post, trying to think, you know, it wasn't that long ago, a little less than a month ago, trying to recall the mind state that I was in, but I can't exactly. But if I had to guess, it's probably something along the lines of like reading through my habit book and checking out what I did, what I didn't do, and trying to figure out why the fuck did I only meditate nine times last month and what can I do to increase that number or like something like that. I don't know if that, again, was exactly it, but it doesn't seem far-fetched. I do stuff like that from time to time. And just generally contemplating and working out that idea by free writing, which is where like the catharsis of free writing comes in and where figuring shit out for yourself comes in and why I like to do it so much. And just breaking down, why is it that when you want to change a behavior or achieve a goal and you put a plan in place and you schedule certain things... And you do what all the quote-unquote experts say could work, but you fall short of your goal. Why is that? Like, what's that thing? And I ask that maybe identifying the path while timing it's the inevitability of that change, maybe that's the most efficient mechanism to change. So what am I saying there? Because that sounds even confusing to me. Is it maybe that instead of focusing on the defining of the goal and the plan to achieve that goal, i.e., you know, writing it down and checking it off in a habit notebook, that gets you part of the way there, but maybe not all the way there. In that scenario, is identifying the most efficient mechanism to achieve that change, that goal that I set out to achieve and that I planned for, identifying and minimizing the possibility or possible scenarios, rather, for not achieving that goal. Like, for example, with the, the the vitamins and like supplements and shit that I was speaking about in the beginning. I put that plan in place. It's in my habit habit book. I'm tracking it, not achieving it or, or achieving it half or a little bit less than half of the time. But then identifying that the times that I didn't achieve it, it's because I got lazy and didn't want to get up and go to three different places because I, for some reason, put my vitamins in the medicine cabinet and then the fish oil in the fridge and et cetera, et cetera identifying that and correcting for that possibility, that possible scapegoat by putting all the supplements in a place that I frequent very often, i.e. my computer desk. And in that scenario, that was the most efficient efficient mechanism to create that change. So I guess what I'm trying to say there is that the catalyst, which is that, is what should be focused on more so than the actual goal and the planning for it. It's like, how do you make that goal and that plan practical? And on the flip side of how I ended it, which is, or maybe some things are just hard as fuck and they are supposed to be hard as fuck. And that's a way for that thing or the process in, in, in and of itself to weed out folks that don't make the cut. And sometimes the way through it is through it, by going through it, by being disciplined, by putting your head down by having the gumption by having the persistence and the perseverance 
to force yourself to exercise today or meditate today or write today or read today. I definitely think there's something to that as well. And that post, folks, is called Hard to Make Change. Feel free to check it out at spuntoday.com forward slash free writing forward slash hard to make change. And with that, I bid thee farewell. Hopefully you stick around, listen to some tunes in the background, and then to a few ways that you can help support the Spun Today podcast. I'm going to go force myself to meditate. Peace. This is what this is what they want, huh? This is what it's all about. Wow, time to take affirmative action, son. Cause just don't understand, you know what I mean? Niggas coming sideways, thinking something sweet, man. You know what I mean? Niggas don't understand the four devils. Lust, envy, hate, jealousy. Wicked niggas, man. Yo, sit back, relax, catch a contact, sip your congiac, and let's all wash this money through this laundry mat. Sneak attack, a new cast of rap, worth top dollar. In fact, touch mines, and I'll react like a rock waller. Who could relate? We play for high stakes at gunpoint, catch them and break. Undress some time with tape, no escape. The Coleon, Fettuccine, Capone, roam in your own zone or get kidnapped and clapped in your dome. We got it sewn. The firm, all the wars unknown. Lower your tone, face it. Homicide cases get thrown. Aristocrats, politic in Delhi with diplomats. See me, I'm an official Mac Lex Coop. Criminal thoughts in the group wars. My destiny's to be the new port. A nigga poorly got a die too short. A nigga's dead on. I key a hair on. They found a head on. The couch with his dick in his mouth. I put the head out. Yo, this move is killing since Buzzy. Hey folks, Tony here. And I hope you're enjoying the show as much as I enjoy putting it together for you. If you'd like to support, I'd really appreciate it. And we'll give you a one-stop shop of sorts on how to do so. If you can make your way over to spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll find a bunch of different ways where you can do just that. There you'll find an Amazon banner similar to the other banners found throughout my website that you can click on and will take you to Amazon where you can do your shopping like you normally do. This will not cost you anything extra and Amazon will pay me a percentage just for driving traffic to their website. It's a great way to help support the show financially without actually having to come out of pocket. At spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll also find links to my Patreon and Ko-fi pages. Patreon and Ko-fi are two similar websites where you can set up reoccurring donations for the show. If you want to donate a dollar per month, a dollar per episode, a hundred dollars per episode, whatever you like, you can check out either one of those two services there. There's actually also a Patreon video that's kind of like a little tutorial explanation video of how Patreon actually works. Also at spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll find a direct donation button where you, you can donate by way of PayPal. You'll find a link to Apple Music, which works similar to the Amazon banner. You can click on it. It'll take you to Apple's website where you can do your purchasing like you normally do. And again, it does not cost you anything extra, but I will get paid a percentage just for driving traffic to their website. And you'll also find links to the Spun Today viral style store 
this is where you can get spun today related merch and you'll find things like these cool premium t-shirts that have uh writing related sayings on them that i put together myself i'm definitely not a clothing designer by any stretch of the imagination but i put together things that i wanted to see and and uh wear myself a couple of my favorites are the one that says writing is life and another one that says right need every day and it has like a puff of smoke looking design right behind uh, those words you'll also find a sponsored a coffee mug and a really cool color changing mug that's related to my debut novel fractal it's completely black and when it gets hot when you put it in coffee or tea it starts changing to white and it also exposes the cover art for my novel fractal it's pretty dope so definitely check all that stuff out which again you can find by going to sponsor.com forward slash support and of course do not forget to follow me on all of your social media at sponsor on twitter at sponsor on instagram subscribe to the sponsor youtube channel where you can find clips and excerpts from the podcast along with other cool content like the facebook page at facebook.com forward slash spun today also don't forget to check out all the free shit that i have on my website as well go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing and there you're going to find dozens and dozens and dozens of free writing pieces that you can check out for motivation and inspiration and just some general food for thought you can check out some of my photography at spuntoday.com forward slash photography feel free to take any of those pictures and use them as you wish i set it up so that you can like copy and download the photos and my short stories are available at spuntoday.com forward slash short stories and last but certainly not least my pride and joy corner spuntoday.com forward slash books here you will find my published books which you find folks can find links to purchase them on amazon whether you want hard copies or digital uh, kindle copies that's the spot for you thank you very much for being a spun today listener and as always substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams thanks for listening